Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Gary Owen with the Get Some Podcast. Uh, it's been a interesting week, to say the least. Uh, I, you know, I, I, the podcast, the goal of it is to be lighthearted. Uh, I want it to be an escape from everything going on in the world. But in times like these... This is when I'm actually glad I have a podcast and have a, a, a platform because, you know, with the passing of George Floyd, well, the murder of George Floyd and the riots going on all across the country, um, I find myself in an interesting position because on one hand, um, I'm a white guy, obviously, married to a black lady, got mixed kids, which by society standards, are black kids when they leave my house. Um, on the other hand, I'm an ex-police officer. Uh, granted, military police. So, But I was on a base that had everything. It had a nightclub. It had uh, base housing, which is a little neighborhood. It had restaurants. It had, uh, I mean, it had everything. Uh, it just had everything. Barracks, which is basically an apartment building for single people. Uh, and you got, and just like in society on military bases, you have different classes. You have the officers' quarters. You have the enlisted quarters. Um, so you have different classes of people. And with that, you know, I've I've seen, like, I've had my my fair share of dealing with good and bad military police officers. I'll say that. Um, granted, much less extent than being a Detroit police officer or a Chicago police officer, because we don't really, we don't have a lot of murders on on the bases. We don't have a, you don't you don't hear about police brutality on military bases, but we do. But we do have our fair share of um, people that just don't like the cops, uh, guys that I felt got picked on in high school that are now. Cops in the military, which I feel is, um, I think that's everywhere. Uh, you know, I, 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 so for me, it's, it's interesting because I know not all cops are bad. I know there's more good cops than bad cops. Uh, I know it is a, it's a, it's a crazy situation to be in. It's tough when, if you're, if your first day on the police force, um, you're a new guy. And they, what if they sit you in a car with some psychopath that you don't realize he's a psychopath? So your first um, interaction with people, you're looking at, you're looking at this cop, and you, you're kind of following suit. You're like, what do I do? I mean, just imagine, just imagine, it's your first day on the police force, and you see. The guy you're riding with, so your partner, who basically you're, you're dependent on him and he's dependent on you, and you see him doing some crazy shit. And what do you do if it's your first day? Do you report him to your commanding officer or your chief? Um, do you just follow suit or what do you do? That's, that's I mean, that's what I, oftentimes I'd be thinking when I see some of these um, police brutality cases where the partner didn't step up and do anything. You're, you're looking at them like, oh, wh why aren't you doing anything? Or it's just, it's, it's a lose-lose. It's a lose-lose situation. Um, but I, I find it interesting with, with all the protests and the rioting 
going on. I've never seen at any point in the history of this country where we're really pulling back the curtain that not all right, if, if, if a black guy gets killed by a cop, uh, which seems to be the, that's when, it's, that's the powder cake that ignites everything in this country more than any other thing. It's not black on black crime. It's not white on white crime. It's not a random white person killing a black person or a random black person. It's, it's when a police officer murders a black guy. And now we have cameras, we have phones, we have social media. Now we can see it. Now with the rioting, we're also seeing it just because uh, a black guy gets killed by a white cop and you see protesters and you see rioters and you see looting. Now more than ever, we're seeing it's not just black people that's looting. It's not just black people that's rioting. Um, we're, we're seeing that there's a whole segment of society that is showing up at these riots and is basically igniting the, the looting and the rioting. They're not, and majority of the time, they're not even from that city. So you'll see, you'll see people in Atlanta, you'll see people in Minneapolis, and you're seeing people in LA. And then people are, people are starting to get wise, like, oh, these people aren't from our city. They're coming into our city and starting the, starting the, the, the looting. They're starting the breaking the windows of Target and Starbucks and spray. I saw a video of two white women spray painting Black Lives Matter on a Starbucks. And a black woman is on her cell phone saying, why are you doing that? Because they're going to blame black people for that. And they're masked up. I saw the video of the white guy dressed in all black with the, the, the gas mask on. Purple, it was purple right here. He had an umbrella. And he just started smashing windows. Going down the line, smashing. And now more than ever, we're seeing. We're seeing the curtain pull back. Like, oh, oh, I, I, you just thought it was a bunch of young black kids just, just wilding. We're finding out that that's not the case. And as a comedian, we're put in a weird situation um, dealing with times like these because, you know, I always look, look at my, I always look at social media as fun. It's fun to me. I like making jokes. I like making people laugh. But I don't want to be insensitive either. And sometimes, you know, comedian's job is to make people smile and laugh when they're at their lowest, when it's a dark time. But in this time, I've never in my life seen a darker time where I feel like it's insensitive to post a joke. The, I mean, these last couple of days, I just, I didn't feel like it was right. Um, in fact, like I have, I, I post a lot of my social media. But I also have people that help me post stuff. I'll, I'll, you know, I got, I got my tech people and they'll, they'll pull a video and they'll tell me, hey, Gary, at six o'clock on Monday, we're going to post this comedy clip of yours. We pulled it, we cut it up, we edited it. And I'm like, great. I told everyone that works for me, I said, hold all social media. I'll post what I want to post, but hold it all because I just didn't feel like it was the time to post a joke that had nothing to do with what's going on in the country. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I struggle with everything going on because you, at one, 
you know, me and my daughter was supposed to go to Oakland on Monday. We were going to go with a couple of her friends. I was going to be the adult, and we were going we were gonna peacefully join a protest that was scheduled. But then we saw what was going on in Oakland, and people was wilding. So a, a few people, uh, well, one person got killed. I don't know if a few, but one person definitely got killed. And numerous people got injured. And now I'm like, I had to tell her, like, we, we can't go because it's just not safe. And I don't want to risk me or you or your friends getting hurt. So in, on one hand, you, you want to be supportive. But on the other hand, you got to look out for your own safety. And I'm very aware that I, I live in a bubble where I, the part of the country I live in, you know, we're, I'm just, we're just watching it on the news. It's not affecting us at all. My neighbors, I'm still waving at them. Uh, you know, kids are still riding bikes. Uh, so I'm definitely very aware that we kind of, I'm kind of like out of the loop. I'm not even attempting to go into the city. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, you know, you got, your hands are kind of tied. And I see my daughter, she's posted on social media now. And she's, she's in a weird position because she's 17. She's very... Um, Socially aware of what's going on. She, I, I always say she's going to have a future in politics for sure. She's going to be one of those people leading the marches and the protests when she gets to um, college. And she's making posts on her Facebook saying, you know, a lot of her white family members, she's saying things like, uh, you know, I, you guys, your silence is basically, basically what she's saying, your silence is letting me know that you're not standing with me. And so I'm going to some of my family members' posts on Facebook now. I'm looking them up. And some family members are, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because I, I, I know nobody in my family. Um, now, I'm not talking about my stepdad's side. I'm talking about that side of the past. I'm talking about my, the other side of my white family. Uh, I know none of them are racist, but I also know they don't um, fully grasp that they have, <laughs> they have people of color in their family that they care and love about, and, but they don't fully grasp what they're going through. And I find people in my own family posting stuff like, they post more about the looting, or they'll post like, Martin Luther King um, didn't loot. And, or they'll post like, a white guy got killed by a black guy, but nobody's protesting that. And sometimes you just want to shake them and just say, why? It's like you're, um, it's almost like when they do stuff like that, it's almost like they're um, not justifying what's going on, but it's almost like, I, I can't explain it. You're just, I, I just want to shake them. Cause I'm like, do you realize what you're doing? How you sound? It's almost like you're saying, yeah, it's, uh, you're taking the attention off of what is really going on is what it is. You're almost acting like Luton ain't going to do nothing. And these people are animals and they're out of control and they're wild. And we just got to get away from them. Um, you know, I saw, I saw a video of, uh, of J.R. Smith. And I'm so glad that somebody caught it on video and J.R. got to speak out because somebody in L.A., uh, went up to J.R. Smith's car and broke his window. J.R. chased this kid down, uh, or, or man down, and beat the shit out of him. And it was a white guy. A white guy busted out J.R. Smith's window. But here's the thing. 
by the time people got their cameras out and their phones out to film it, the narrative could have been just J.R. Smith beats the shit out of a white guy. Could, because that's all you saw. What you didn't see was the backstory. J.R. Smith, his car parked on the side of the road in a residential neighborhood, not bothering anybody, see somebody break his window for no reason. So he chased the guy out and beat his ass. And God bless J.R. Smith, because he didn't back down from it at all. Before the video got released, he made a statement going, yep, somebody broke my window out. They broke the wrong one. And I chased this guy down. And I beat his ass. <laughs> I mean, God bless J.R. Smith. I was so glad he came out and spoke about it. And I know it sounds bad, but it's like when my wife or daughter, when they hear of somebody committing a crime, I hear them say a lot, uh, please don't be black. Please, don't. I, hope, I hope this person isn't black. And I find myself saying that too, a lot. Uh, but in this case, I was so glad that, I know it sounds odd, but I was so glad the guy was white that broke, our, broke out J.R. Smith's window. Because I was like, see, it's not just black people looting, rioting, and vandalizing things. So I was, I was so glad it was a white guy that did it. I know that some people may be like, that sounds weird coming from a white guy. But I was so glad. Because it wasn't just J.R. Smith beating up some random white dude. It wasn't a black guy vandalizing cars. It was a white guy. Uh, and uh, this is what I also learned. Don't fuck with J.R. Smith. Uh, that's one of the guys, even when he was in the NBA, you, nah, you don't want to mess with him at all. But I was supposed to have on um, Desi Banks this week. Uh, he was supposed to be my guest. But I felt like this wasn't the week to just have a comic on or anybody, any actor or actress just acting like this stuff isn't going on in the country. So it was interesting. So I'm, we're going to have Desi on next week or the week after. Um, but it, it, even Desi caught some heat. I mean, he, he made a post on Twitter where he showed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at a, at a march, and he said, it said something like, this is a protest, and underneath it, it had some people in Target, like, ransacking it, and he said, this is a riot. So I got, I got what Desi's goal was with the post, but he caught so much backlash from it because people was like, somebody educate this dude. And, and people, and uh, here's the problem. Instead, instead of people just trying to educate Desi, because he's a young guy, people just start attacking him. And I was like, look, we all know there was no malicious intent behind that tweet. We all know what he was trying to say. It's just he's young, picked the wrong picture, and he didn't understand the full narrative of, of what he said. And uh, so even he caught some heat by just posting something. Um, so I just felt like it's odd to have just a comedian on this week to act like nothing's going on in the country. So every, every other Saturday since this pandemic lockdown's been going on and I haven't been working, uh, me and my wife, we drive out to Napa where my manager lives. And we take a drive out there and, you know, every other Saturday, just have lunch, sit outside, talk about the state of the world. And it's interesting because, you know, my wife's from Oakland, uh, grew up in the Acorn, if you know what Oakland is, grew up on, um, I, I could, like, 98th and MacArthur, um, 
one other part of Oakland. And then my manager, my, now my, everybody knows my wife's black, but my manager, and I, I'm not being distracted here, I'm just looking at my phone because I want to get this correct. <laughs> now my manager's a white lady, uh, also from the Bay Area. Uh, she lived in Haight-Ashbury until she was eight, and then she moved to Lafayette. Um, and then she ended up going to college at UCLA. Uh, but she's been in the entertainment industry for years. Uh, she's repped, repped numerous of the Wayans brothers, numerous black celebrities. So even my manager is a white woman and who's been around black people a majority of her professional career. Uh, and then my wife being a black woman, both grew up in the, about the same age, um, same area, but completely different experiences. But they both grew up in the Bay, where if you grew up in the Bay, you're going to come in contact with every different culture, every different religion. Uh, so you're not as sheltered as like someone in the Midwest that never leaves the Midwest. But so we go to Napa. This is Saturday. And I'm sitting there. And I'm, at one point, it's almost like I felt like, man, half the country is in chaos. And I'm literally having the calmest breakfast I've ever had in my life. Like we're sitting in Napa, got these beautiful vineyards everywhere. There's like literally a dog barking in the front yard at cars. People wave at you when you drive by. Um, and, we're, and we're having like a, you know, turkey bacon, gluten-free pancakes. It's everything you would think in Napa, fresh berries, things like that. And I found myself looking at my wife and my manager having a conversation about politics, state of the country, um, just everything we've been going through, George Floyd. They're agreeing on some things, they're disagreeing on some things, but they're having a civil conversation about it. So I'm sitting there, and this is the thing about comedians. Uh, we, we observe a lot. Um, and so I'm like, for me to be quiet for like 20 minutes straight is, is a feat in itself. But I found myself just listening to those two talking about everything. And I'm always under the whole, uh, I should never, I should ne for sure I should never be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, especially when it comes to politics and like things going on in the country right now. Uh, you know, I'm very much like, I just try to observe and make comments where I can, thought out comments and not rush to judgment or rush to react or rush to post stuff. So I'm sitting here watching these two women that grew up in the same part of the country, uh, completely different experiences, completely different upbringings. Um, I'm talking about economically and everything else when they were growing up. And I asked them to hold their conversation. I said, hey, 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 can you two like stop talking politics, stop talking about George Floyd and everything? I said, because I really want you to have this same discussion on my podcast. I want to I want to be able to video it and I want to see people's reaction because I think it's important because on one hand you got my manager, a white lady who is aware of white privilege, aware she's very aware of of she's very lucky to be where she's living at, to have the life that she has. And no fault of her own. She's done nothing wrong, but she goes, 
she even asked me, she goes, do I ever, do I ever struggle or feel like I have white guilt? And I had to think and I was like, hmm, I don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, cause in my, I've never, you know, I, I grew up in a trailer park, uh, didn't, never had money growing up. I've worked for everything I've had to build the life I've, I've had as a comedian, uh, and the thing about me is I, I've always felt like I looked at the world a little different than most people because the people that like disappointed me the most growing up was white males. I had no problems with black dudes. I had a lot of black friends growing up. Uh, every black male adult that I came in contact with growing up was just cool. Uh, but the white men in my life in my adolescent years were the ones that completely disappointed me and abused me. So my perspective is, is a little different than most. Uh, so I was like, I don't, I don't know. I never really felt like I had white guilt, so to speak. I've been very aware of uh, being a white guy and what, what comes with it, uh, the advantages you have. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not talking about in the workforce. I'm just talking about getting pulled over. I'm, I've never been afraid if a cop pulled me over. I've never thought, oh my God, I'm gonna die. The, the only encounter I ever had with a police officer where I was like, whoa, what just happened? I was in St. Louis and I, I dropped a buddy of mine off at his house and he was a black guy, lived in a black neighborhood, lower income black neighborhood. And I had to rent a car and I drove by his house and he forgot to tell me we drove by his house. So basically I had to circle around. So I drove by his house once, we missed it. I said, damn, Terrence, missed the house. And then we drove back by his house again. So then he said, just pull around back. There was an alley. He's like, I'll just get out and I'll just go in through the back, you know, uh, through his backyard. I said, all right. So what, what I didn't know was cops were staking out the neighborhood. <laughs> so here I come and I'm probably like a Chevy Malibu rent-a-car. And this is... Um, I'm guessing this is 18 years ago. So I drove by Terrence's house once. Uh, we missed it. I drove back again. Now we're circling behind the house to drop him off. So to the cops, it looks like I'm probably casing the house. So I drop Terrence off. Terrence gets, Terrence gets out the car, goes into his backyard, and I get, I'm talking five seconds after he walked into his house, I got lit up. There was a cop car came one way in front of me, behind me, and through the side, I don't know where the side alley was, but a cop came coming down. So now I got three cars lighting me up with the, with the lights on and the sirens, everything, woo, right? Cop gets on his loudspeaker, you know, put your hands on the steering wheel. So I got my hands on the steering wheel. Then he's like, um, you know, take my hands out the window. Then I'm, I got my hands out the window, right? Turn the car off. So I pull one hand in, I turn the car off, and then I take the keys out. I drop the keys on the side, right? Then he tells me to step out of the car. I step out of the car. I walk backwards to the trunk of the car. I put my hands on the trunk. They never put me in handcuffs. I'm sure they wasn't expecting a white guy to get out of the car for one. <laughs> or once they saw my hands. So now my hands are on the, um, my hands are on the trunk of the car. They ask permission to search the car. I said, yeah, yeah go ahead and search the car. Sorry about this. Uh, damn it. This is when you should have your phone off when you do your podcast because the 
people are coming in and it's dinging. So I apologize for that. So now I got my hands on the trunk of the car. Uh, and there's white cops and black cops both there. The white cop was the, could have been one of the biggest dicks I've ever come in contact with. So they asked to search my car. I said, yeah, go ahead and search the car. So now he, the white cops asked me, are we going to find anything in your car? And I said, no. And now I'm starting to freak out a little bit because I'm like, oh, shit, this is a rent-a-car, and I never opened the trunk yet. And I'm thinking, did I, did something happen? Was this a car they had, a, they staked out? Or what if they're, I mean, your brain starts playing tricks on you. So literally I went, just like this, I went, and the cop goes, what's so funny? Like, in my, now he's this close to my face. What's so funny? And I literally just went, uh, you just, you never think it's going to happen. I, just, I was just like, you just, you never think it's going to happen to you. And he goes, yeah, well, we'll see. What do you say? Well, we'll see if you're still laughing once we search the car. So I'm like, why? now I'm in my brain going, why is this guy just being a dick? <laughs> like, I've complied. I've done nothing wrong. And then they search my car. They don't find anything. Now they tell me to back up. Keep in mind, I still have not been put in handcuffs. Uh, they open the trunk of the car. Absolutely nothing's in the trunk. Then they shut it. I'm clear, right? The black cop was searching the car. The white cop was on me, right? So then instead of saying sorry, instead of saying um, why I got pulled over or, you know, hey, man, this is drug activity or we've been staking this out or your car looked like a car, the, literally the cop just goes, all right, you can go, right? And now I'm like, what, what the, f what just happened? Now I'm like confused. And so now the comedian kicks in. So now I'm like, I'm trying to make a joke. So I look at the cop, the same cop as being a dick. And I said, hey man, um, I had White Castle, man. Now it's cold, <laughs> right? So now I'm trying to make a joke like, damn hey, man, you made my White Castle cold. The cop goes, you shouldn't be eating that shit anyways. <laughs> and just gets in his car go, why was he a dick the whole time? But at the same time, I never felt like my life was in danger. At any point, even when I got lit up from every angle, even when I got spoken to through the, the loudspeaker of the cop car, you know, put your hands out, get out of the car, I never <laughs> felt like I was in danger at all. Um, and that could be, I don't know, that's clearly because I'm white. Uh, maybe that's the white privilege in me that kicked in. Uh, but I still, it was an interesting question when my manager asked me, did I, do I ever feel, have white guilt? So with that, when I heard her, my manager and my wife talking, I was like, this would be really good on tape. And I think it would be helpful. And I don't think we've had, we've seen a conversation like this and we should have more of it where you got two women, one black, one white, um, both want the same thing in life. They both just want to be happy. They want to be healthy. And they want everyone to be treated equal. Uh, but on one hand, you got my manager asking my wife, what can I do? What should I do? What, what is proper? I don't want to offend anybody. Because uh, I see this on social media a lot too. I see somebody saying something like, this is a human problem. We as humans got to do better. And they just, people just get attacked. Like, this is a black problem. We don't need your help. Or, or people, in the, same, in the same comment section, people will be like, um, you know, we don't need your help. And then be like, this doesn't concern you. I'm like, dude, this concerns everybody. You know, and I think I've never seen 
in my lifetime, I've never seen protests with so many different types of people protesting, marching together. Uh, I saw I saw the police officer in Flint, Michigan, the sheriff, where he took off his helmet, he put down his billy club, and he was just like, "Yo, we here, man." He said he told everyone that was there for the the protest. He goes, "We love you guys. We love this city." He goes, I told my police officers, what do you want from us? What do you need? We got to get through this together. And then the whole crowd started chanting, walk with us. Saying, so, you know, walk with us, walk with us. And the, the, the sheriff started walking with them. He started marching with them. He said, you know, I want to turn this into a parade, not a protest. And he started marching with people. And I've seen this in other cities, too, where the, the police officers are taking a knee or, or they're actually, there was a, a I think I don't know if it's the sheriff or someone in a uh, police officer in Houston marching with with the with the protesters because there's a huge difference between a protest a protest and a riot and looters and I think sometimes we we lump them all together. Um, I even made an insensitive text where the small town where we live in there was supposed to be a there's supposed to be a protest and I said I texted to a couple of friends of mine I said why would you protest in our small town, I said, you should go to San Jose or Oakland and protest. And I'm not knowing one of the guys that I was texting. It was like 10 of us on this group text. He's a firefighter in Oakland. So he'd seen all the chaos. So he sent me a, a text on our own and just said, um, just basically explained to me like that, that text didn't come off right. And I, you know, I talked to him and I said, no, I didn't mean rioting and looting. I meant protesting. I said, you'll get more eyes and more course of action protested in a, in a bigger city like Oakland or San Jose, as opposed to the smaller town that we lived in. So, but, you know, I, I, this is what I want to do uh, on this podcast. I want to step away and not talk, just completely get off screen, off the mic. And I want my manager, who agreed, and my wife to come on. And I want them to have a one-on-one discussion about uh, what they can do or answer questions. Um, just have an open discussion. I don't want to be. I don't want to be in the middle of it. I don't want to do my two cents because I really want to have an honest, open discussion between two women, one white, one black, grew up in the same area, had completely different life experiences, but want the same thing out of life, but don't know how to go about it, so to speak. Like, what does my wife want from white people? What does my manager, what can she do to help black people in the future? Um, so I think this is a timely conversation. Kenya. So I don't talk to my wife that way. She just, I want to make sure she got on camera. So are you ready? Are you ready to talk to Lisa? Yeah. Okay, this, one thing, this is the difference between uh, my wife and me. Um, she's about to come on. She's got notes. She's got talking points. She doesn't want to forget anything. I, on the other hand, I just kind of wing it. That's why my, I, originally I wanted to call my podcast Fuck It. Because I, <laughs> half the time I don't know where I'm going with these conversations. She's not like me. <laughs> so I'm going to bring her in. Listen, I'm stepping out. Um, I will see you guys next week. But uh, my wife's going to close the show. My wife's going to introduce my manager. But I think it's important to have a discussion like this between two women. Uh, and I think it's going to help. You know, because I keep I keep hearing people going, "What can I do? What should I do?" And and I'm I'm the same way. I don't have the answer, but I do think this conversation these two women are about to have 
can help um, some people, white and black, just to see um, uh, you can, you don't have to agree on everything, but you can still have a productive discussion and something productive can come out of it. So I'm going to bring my wife in. Hi, guys. Um, Gary has, believe it or not, trusted me with this podcast, okay? And this is a serious, it's been a crazy few days. And um, Lisa, uh, Gary's manager, is a white woman. And I agreed to do this with her because I know that she is smart. She is um, in tuned with um, not maybe not all of black culture, but she is um, empathetic to the plight of black people, especially where we are now. And um, her heart is in the right place. So it's not a lot of fluff and bullshit with her. So um, I agree to do this. Um, and I think you guys, she's gonna, she real smart. So I think you'll come away, especially if you're white, you'll come away with um, some pretty good insight because I get a lot of uh, my white friends saying, well, what do you want us to do? You know what I mean? And honestly, at first, you know, I had some thoughts, um, but Lisa, you know, from a white woman can give her point of view also. So with that, I'm going to introduce to you a good friend of ours, um, a pr another protector of Gary. Anybody that watches out for Gary is good with me. Um, Lisa Strode. Hi, Lisa. Hi. That was so sweet. That was just, that was awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so, I, I just really followed up with the whitest statement. That's awesome, Kenya. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I really, I really meant it, and I don't know if it came off crazy, but you are definitely someone I trust. You are very smart. You have always been willing to use your white privilege uh, to help, and you know I appreciate it. My family appreciates it. So, um, with that, I hate that we're here talking about this after five days that we're still talking about this. And um, I just want to make sure that, um, I don't know what Gary told, you know, what, I'm not quite sure how Gary prefaced this conversation, but it is stemming from the murder of George Floyd. Um, I am, when this started, when this first happened, I just, with the video, I could not believe their, the, the arrest did not happen swiftly to all of them, all four of them. Um, I can't believe as of now that three of them are still at home chilling, watching TV, having breakfast, walking to the refrigerator. Um, I, I do believe that had the arrest, all four of them, had they been arrested swiftly, I'm not quite sure we would be here in this position. Um, and if my thought is like, seriously, like what the hell's going on with these other three? Why haven't they been arrested? And if it's, we don't want, we're not ready to talk to you black people. I say give all information to government, to Governor Cuomo, who can explain everything. So if there's a reason that, Minneapolis is aware of that we are not arresting the additional three 
police officers that had a knee on George Floyd get a shit to Andrew Cuomo, who can explain it to us, because he is the master of explanation. Um, so that's how we got here. But even before George Floyd, I think black people, I know black people are frustrated. Um, we're tired of the systematic uh, racism. We feel unheard. We feel undervalued. We feel like we've been offered a lot of false promises and, and bullshit, just to tell you the truth. And, and, and I think we're over it. It's done. We're over it. So something is going to to change. And um, so anyways, that's that I hope gives a little bit of a background of how, why this conversation is taking place and how it has really evolved from why they haven't been arrested to how our friends of other races and just our friends that care about us, how they can help us. So, um, Lisa. Yeah. Can, so can what, I, what were you? Yeah, go ahead. So, you know, what's, what's really interesting to me about this conversation is for me, how it started was when, um, Gary called me and said he wanted, how he wanted to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And he had an idea of what he wanted. And, and I said, okay, well, let me tell you how that lands for me as a privileged white person. And, and we started talking, talking through. And I said, because I had posted something, I had posted a comment on Gary's, um, on a post Gary had put out mm-hmm. previously and I had gotten attacked for it and I didn't say it right. And I was like, wow, this is really um, volatile because my heart is in the right place. And I'm saying this is a human issue. This is, in, this is not just an, uh, an issue for black people. This is um, injustice. This is racism. This is intolerable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a, a, um, a woman that I, I saw a post today of a white woman whose husband uh, had been on the force. And I think she had said it in such a way that I, it resonated with me, which, which she said, you know, this is not an issue for the black people alone. And I'm paraphrasing, but what I took away, mm-hmm. this is not an issue for the black people to solve. This is not a thing for white people to c- come along and help. We are the institution, right? The white, the white institution needs to purify itself. It needs to have a no tolerance policy. And, and you and I had talked about, um, because up until that point, up until that point of hearing that, I was thinking, what, what does black America want me to do? Right. And I'm, I'm, I have my own ideas of how we Mm -hmm. address this, but but when you have a situation that is as volatile as this and where we're coming from such different realities, mm-hmm. uh, it is not for me to presume how to help, right? I do want to know 
what is being asked of me and how I can be supportive. But I also think, as this woman was saying in such a powerful way, it's not for me to support uh, the Black community as much as it is for me and, and all of us to personally refuse to accept this as a part of our reality. And to and I thought about the Me Too movement, and and I only say this in principle, um, in in understanding principles of social change. I don't say this to compare mm-hmm. what's going on with what happened, but I thought about how my industry and then other industries kicked out with the error on the side of if you're accused, you're out. Right? They didn't wait for um, harassment suits to be finalized before people got fired and refused to do business with. Right? Mm-hmm. Gal Gadot said she was not going to do another Wonder Woman if Brett Ratner was a producer. Like, that's just one example. But there was situation after situation of agents fired, lawyers fired, executives fired, shows canceled. There was no cost too great to get rid of perpetrators. And they did it at the accusation. They didn't do it at the uh, at the you know the final. And a lot of people argued about that. But but what I heard today that resonated so much for me was no tolerance, absolutely no tolerance. And it's on us. It's on every one of us. But it's on the people in power to fix it. It's not. Right. I it's agree not with for that. the minority, right? But it, let me ask, ask you this. Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this, just because it rolled off your tongue, and I don't, I don't really hear a lot of people acknowledge that they have white privilege. But it was a few minutes ago when you was talking. But you acknowledge just it just rolled off your tongue that you do have white, white privilege. Mm. Why do you think people, white people, don't want to? say that they have white privilege because I don't necessarily think because you have white privilege makes you racist. Okay. I don't believe that at all, at all. But why do you think they have, they don't want to admit that they do have white privilege? Because I think it's really simple. It's almost like, um, we as humans avoid, uh, being characterized in a bad way. I actually came to recognize, so when I worked with the Wayanses, they called me the white lady and they would mm-hmm. laugh at my assumptions mm-hmm. um, that of how the world should work and how I should get respect and how people should do what I said they should mm-hmm. do because it was my position to tell them what to do. You have mm-hmm. this assumption that the world is here to, to cater to you mm-hmm. and and you fight and argue for it. And so we... I think I came to my sense of being the white lady and what that meant because it came from somebody who fundamentally loved me, who Mm -hmm. I had a great relationship with, who could help Mm -hmm. me see my blind spots Mm -hmm. without uh, making me, uh, without it being a character defect. Mm -hmm. It was a worldview that Mm -hmm. I, that is only natural for me to develop based on, right? Like we talk, we all talk about childhood trauma and how we develop a worldview of who we are and how we interact with the world based on our upbringing. Mm -hmm. So I have, you know, I have 
childhood trauma that affects me in one way, but I also have privilege, right? I would say mm-hmm. that I'm like an affluent feral, right? Like I was, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that means basically that I, I um, have this affluence. And I also think that, you know, I grew up in the Haight-Ashbury um, and when I moved from the city to the suburbs, yes, I was discriminated against because I was a city kid. I, mm. They told me things like, "Oh, we don't, we don't. You might be able to do that in the city, but that's not what we do mm. here." Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I, I kind of have a perspective of saying, like, "Okay, so what's my, what's my bubble? What's my worldview?" and mm. and believing that that is not the same thing as. Um, uh, an overdeveloped sense of entitlement. I think that that privilege can can really be used to help some of these causes. For sure. For instance, I mean, whether it's financial, whether it's your platform, whether it's your relationships that you have to help us get into a room for a meeting. Um, I think you can use it at the ballot box. And when I say you, I don't, I just mean you in general. What I represent. Um, Yes. Um, I'm sorry, I'm so distracted because Kennedy is off trying to say something. What 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 is it, What are you trying to say, Kennedy? There is a privilege with being the majority in this country. And with being the majority, if you speak up, everyone's going to hear you. If you take our side and stand up for what's right, people are going to hear you. And that... In the history, that's how change has happened. From that's the right. Civil War to segregation to everything, every single really big human rights turning point in this country, it's because it was backed by the white majority. Okay, so I, I agree with that. That's using your privilege for good. Yes. Right side, because black people have been standing up for ourselves since the birth of the nation, since we came here in, 19, in 1619. And... You know, it wasn't big changes for us in in getting our rights, in terms of getting our rights and stuff, until the majority started using their privilege to speak up for us, advocate for us, stand with us. And the majority of those were white women. And you you know what else I want to add? It 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 got to the point um, where the white majority decided it was intolerable. And I think that um, there are these breaking points. And I think that when we look at um, the slave trade in England, Ken, you know, Kenya, you and I were talking mm-hmm. about this. Yeah. I was amazed when I heard and learned that it was the householders, the women, who started the boycott of sugar when they discovered right. that it was as a result of slavery. Right. Mm-hmm. And and exactly what Kennedy was saying about like that outrage. I mean, we were we were talking, Gary was talking about the post of Martin mm-hmm. Luther King that said, you know, it's a this is a protest and this is a riot, and how that was um Bloody Sunday. And the idea that and I heard them talking about this on CNN this morning and I I, I really bristled at the word, but what they said about Martin Luther King and his march mm-hmm. was that they, on CNN, they said that they had to bait the police. They weren't baiting anybody. They were exposing mm-hmm. the brutality. And that was intolerable to the white majority, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and I think that that is, Kenya, something that you had said 
mm-hmm. that is so important is it's about the organization. Who's organizing this change? So wait, okay, so wait, I do want to talk about that because that is my biggest frustration right now. Um, but before before I get to the frustration of the lack of organization and black leadership, just because we were talking about Bloody Sunny Sunday, I want to talk about protesting modern day. So the protesting now. Um, my frustrations with the protesting now is by day three, nobody was talking about George Floyd. Everybody was talking about the looting. And my problem with it is by day three, our peaceful protest, and I, when I say our, I don't just mean black people. If you were white or, or right. Hispanic or whatever standing next to us to protest, you are our, okay? You are who I'm talking about. Um, when it was infiltrated and hijacked by people who didn't give a shit, about the cause, who didn't give a shit about us, who came only to cause to, they came only um, to cause more havoc in an already chaos situation. Chaos situation because we didn't have a leader. So when we're marching, we just marching. We, We don't know who we following. You know, if one goes left and the other goes right, where are you supposed to go? How we how are we supposed to to, to march and to protest? What is That's our right. end goal? What are we That's saying? Right. It, we right. just needed more more organization, and I think because we lacked the organization, it allowed the boogaloo boy, white supremacist. It allowed yep. um, um, very far left to come in with their own agenda. And this is what I said on social media. You better know who's standing next to you because if the person standing next to you during one of these peaceful protests has on yep. some steel-toed boots, um, an AR-15, um, yep. a sledgehammer, um, you know, stuff looks like they, they packed up to get. Like if they got anything more than a stick or a rock they found, their agenda is probably not our agenda. And with that, and they can do it. You know what I mean? When you see some of these, you know, so they breaking shit, looting shit, and then they egging us on to come in and get it. You know, you got people spray painting on the wall, like F the police. They going to spray paint the F, and then they looking to you, at you to give you the spray can to finish it up. Egging you on, like, come on, come on. And, you know, I saw some people saying, no, I'm not, I'm good. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want the spray can. But mm-hmm. to see all these white people... And mostly were white, whether they were super leftist or white supremacists. They took advantage of the situation. Why? Because there was no organization. It was chaotic. And we so pissed about what what is what has happened. We are not focused on what is happening. So what started off as our shit became their shit. Mm -hmm. And for the last couple of days. I've only heard his name today. I've only heard his name three times. I heard all about looting. I had I've heard mm. enough about all this other stuff. It's it it is being lost in transition by, by it's just being lost, not even in transition. It is being hijacked. Mm. Can I jump in? 
Yeah, please. Oh, because yes. I, I, I will I, rant every now and then, Lisa. Oh, me too, by the way. Me too. That's why we do. We're good together. <laughs> but here's the thing that I think is not lost. Um, the, you know, the rage. The rage and the urgency. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't, I, I think also for a whole lot of people that didn't know um a lot of my people who did not know what was really going on um, for in the black experience, mm-hmm. they're starting to, they're seeing on the television the instigators. They're seeing the white supremacists. They're hearing about like all the things that I have been saying, like the the level of hate. So when, when I'm going to di- digress for a quick second, when Trump got elected, I was... Uh, shocked. I was shocked because I didn't know my country. I knew there was some of that, um, you know, sort of traumatized, petulant, uh, entitled white, predominantly white male, right? I knew Mm -hmm. some of that. And and Mm -hmm. frankly, I saw some of that when I was in politics as a political consultant, when Mm -hmm. Pete Wilson and Kathleen Brown were um, going for the gubernatorial seat, Wilson was the incumbent, and there were 6.6 million unemployed white men in California at that time that came out to vote for uh, a proposition that was anti-immigrant. And I started to learn a little bit historically about what happens when you have um white unemployed men. It's very similar to what happened in Germany, actually. The number of white unemployed uh, Germans was very similar to what was going on in California in uh, in 94. So it struck me. So when, when Trump got elected because of this population that I was unfamiliar with, to be honest, I thought it was a smaller population. I was like, the problem isn't just Trump, the fact that he's the leader. The problem is that we have this, this population that mm-hmm. believes that this is acceptable behavior and that the things that Trump is saying, forget policies, don't even talk about policies. The way he's talking and the behavior is unacceptable. And, and so I think about the fact that we see all of these people now that are instigating the violence that you're talking about, not the black people who are protesting, not the white people who are protesting. We have instigators that are crossing state lines. We had we were gonna protest here in Napa today and it was canceled. It was it was put together in conjunction with the police by the women's march organization and um it was, you know, Black Lives Matter march. Mm-hmm. And it got canceled because they got wind of instigators who were going to come in mm-hmm. and create violence in Napa. Like, so if, if all of a what? sudden, all of those women who are on that chain are aware of the fact that there are conspirators trying to disrupt and create mayhem around mm-hmm. racial justice. Well, first of all, at I can't, okay, so I am not. I just said a whole lot. I'm so sorry that was uh, no, more than no, one no. You said song. no, no. I was trying not to. It, Trump needs to shut the fuck up. So anybody around him or follows him that thinks he is, uh, you know, the, the god they've been waiting for, they need to text him and tell him to shut the fuck up because nothing he is saying is being helpful. 
So oh, just sure. watch it play out from the White House windows. You know, you, you're excited that the dogs are ready. You're excited that the that the um, if they start looting, we start shooting. Mm, right. I can't I mean, even believe that. It's just not I mean, helpful. It's, it's, it's just it's, not it's helpful. Inexcusable. I mean, that's the thing. It's more than not helpful. It's inexcusable. And we exactly. as people have to say this is inexcusable. We cannot tolerate it. We cannot. Right. And and I think you and I were talking about what that looks like. It's not the and God bless the music industry. You know, Atlantic Records is going to shut down business for a day or the, the, mm-hmm. the. It's not that. It's a boycott. It's absolutely refusing to give our support, our, support, our money. It's absolutely the only way that it affects change is if it affects the the economy. Because that's why the sugar right. boycott worked. And a that's lot can why... change in six months. Do you know what right. I mean? From now into the election. Yeah, but it's also not just about the election. It's about the... Lisa, the don't corporate, you say that. It's, I'm not saying it's not, that that's not vital, but the, mm-hmm. but the corporations are actually funding our, our elections. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here's where my liberal you know, perspective comes in. We have mm-hmm. to acknowledge that... Um, the, or, the biggest corporations in America have influence. They have the greatest influence. Mm-hmm. And they are fed by us. Mm-hmm. They can't live without us. Right. So why are we supporting them? Why are we giving them our, why are we allowing them to exploit us through consumerism to prop mm-hmm. up their political agenda, which is an economic agenda, and they don't, they don't care about racial justice. Because let me tell you why. We, black people, we don't have any real leaders right now. We really don't. Um, you know, you may get, um, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in you must vote. And whenever you don't feel like voting, you better remember your ancestors that lost That's their right. lives trying to get to the polls. And what I can say about voting, this is my thing, like I, I even hear black people going back and forth about Biden this, Biden that. Let me tell you something about white people. White people didn't think well, I would say this. The, a lot of white people in the Senate did not think Trump would be a good president, but they didn't give a shit because what they had their eyes on a prize, which were the judgeships in the Supreme Courts. They had their eyes on the prize that when we get them, when we send him a bill, he is going to sign. So we don't give a shit really about Trump. We just need the, the figurehead of a Republican president. So when people are talking about what you know, what the black vote is going to cost. Nobody ain't sent me no survey about what's important to me, what's on my agenda. So for a few talking heads that are out there, we need real, we need a committee, okay? And I'm going to submit a list of some people I think are appropriate for the committee. But we as black people need some real leadership. And I don't, I just don't know, you know, I know some black people that I trust, but real leadership, we don't have it. So in terms of, you know, you may get some people saying, okay, in July on the 7th, I think is the date right now, we're not going to shop. That's not long enough. That's not long Mm -hmm. enough, first of all. And everybody may not follow that one person. So we need to be clear, black people, from the 7th to the 14th, we are not going to patronize 
this person or this store, this corporation. We need to know it as a group. But just because you told the told the city of Atlanta and then one day, the you know, California or San Francisco is doing something, we need something more comprehensive and, yep. you know, widespread so they can really feel it. That's all I'm saying. Well, they, that they can really, really feel it. You know, to that, I think I was thinking about the March on Selma and... Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm embarrassed to say that I, uh, while I learned a lot uh, in my education, I learned about mm-hmm. the March on Selma because I read a script um, mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I actually read the script like the day before I got called into jury duty. And mm-hmm. one of the things that was really interesting to me was that just as you're saying, there was an agenda. That mm-hmm. the, the the reason they were marching on Selma was because black people couldn't be on juries. It wasn't a jury of your peers. Right. There was a specific agenda that they were marching for. And I got to say, like, again, the, the, the one thing that I heard today that made the most sense to me was having a mm-hmm. zero tolerance policy for any kind of inappropriate behavior or comment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and by the way, the the Me Too organization didn't sit there and say, oh, we're only concerned about this or that or the other thing. It was widespread. It was mm-hmm. culture. Right. Mm-hmm. This isn't just about the police, although it's acutely about mm-hmm. the police because of the violence. And police that accountability. That's right. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. about every other part of it, too. Right. It's, mm-hmm. There should be a fallout the same way people should be fired and lose their businesses and and they and I don't mean their businesses um, in a, but but in a, a, they need to lose their livelihood. They need to recognize that this is not who we as a country are. This is not and 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 for the last how many years since Trump has been here, we've uh, I and I'll I'll take full responsibility. I've checked out. I've said mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna um, buy locally. I'm gonna buy from people. I'm gonna buy organically. I'm mm-hmm. gonna buy from organizations that support my mission. I have integrity in how I spend my dollars. But mm-hmm. other than that, I've opted out because I'm like this. I don't know what to do with this mass of right. of America. Well, but but I think I, we all need to step uh-huh. up a bit. I think we need I, to I get do. that organization and be willing to be uncomfortable. So That's right. if we have, we're going to decide that hey, we're not going to these, we're not shopping at these businesses. We got to be able to stick to that. So we may That's be right. at you know Billy Boy's local market on the corner, um, but you know it's it's convenient to run into. I don't. I know Walmart is a huge supporter of Trump. Um, I'm not sure. I don't want to name a lot of other stores because I don't know where they fall That's on right. the scale of what they are supporting or not supporting. But if you know the committee is formed and it comes back like, hey guys, so these are the companies that clearly are not working in the interest of black people or underprivileged people, people of color, they don't give a shit about us, do not shop here, I'm good. I won't do it. I'll I'll figure something else out. But I just want to stress, because I'm a huge vote, vote, vote. You guys have to vote. You have to vote. And I am not saying Biden is the perfect, um, I'm going to talk about the president right now, is the perfect candidate. But what is important is that Our bills are written in the House of Representatives 
in the Senate. It just is sent to Biden's desk to be signed. So we need a president that is empathetic to the, to, to the plight of black people, brown people, the underprivileged. We need a president that is saying, like, tell me, tell me what you want. And I'll try to encourage that when I'm in office. And what I can promise you, though, is when I get it, I'm going to sign it. But he doesn't write any bills. He doesn't, he signs law, okay? So when people get so focused on him, the only thing you need to be focused on is when we get the, when we finally figure out a way to get it to your desk, you're going to sign. That's the answer we need. And then you start, you cannot take your eyes off of the House and you can't take your eyes off of the Senate. We need the House and the Senate and judges. Trump has elected or, well, I guess he wouldn't elect. He has, yes, appointed over 300 judges, okay? Most of them have been deemed not even credible, not, um, they don't even have enough, um, they have not passed, um, oh my gosh, I can't even think of the, um, they are not qualified, and I'm Mm -hmm. going to get the name for you guys, but they're not even they're not even qualified to be judges. Either they haven't tried a case or they don't even, you know, like they scored so low on mm-hmm. their LSAT. I mean, just all kind of crazy stuff. So you need to stay focused. It is so much more than just the president. It is the House, it's the Senate, and the judges. Because when they are fighting all of these laws that have been signed, all of these bills that have been signed into law, they're going to fight them in those courts. That's so right. you need to, I mean, we really need to, to, to stay focused on that. The, in terms of protesting, I think you should protest. I think there should be some protest rules. Um, I'm going to just throw out a few. I, I'm not an organizer and I'm not a leader of black people, but do it during the day. And if somebody's standing next to you look like they about the bullshit, don't, don't be a part of it. Don't get drugged right. into it. Because when you're out looting and you're burning stuff down, if you're burning down black-owned businesses, guess what? Once they're burned down, most of them don't come back. And they're still responsible for the loan that they took out to build the business in your community. And when you're burning down, looting your own community, I saw daycare centers looted, a charter school. Where are you taking your kids on Monday? All right. That 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 liquor store, that corner store you used to go to, it ain't there no more. I mean, come on. So if you see people that are not with you have infiltrated the group, don't let them tear up your city. You need those places. You need to be supportive. Black people have always loved and looked out for other black people. I don't care when it really comes down to it. Y'all can have some sort of beef, but you we have always stood up and watched out for not only other black people, but for other minorities and white women. I mean, and white women. So our expectation is for for white people, white women to do the same. I'm not asking you if you don't feel comfortable protesting. Okay. But if you have money and extra funds that can, that can, um, and you can donate to some of the groups, some of these reputable groups that you feel comfortable with, if you can use your, your influence and your power, maybe to get us in a room, do that. If you can post something on social media, do that. If when you go to vote, you see somebody like, you know what, I really think he's for equality, you know, for, for all do that. Move That's in that right. direction. Because never in my life would I would have thought that 
Of course, when you have kids, you pray that they're happy and they're healthy. The prayer for my boys have ch- has changed. It's a whole different kind of prayer. I've always taught them to comply, to comply, to comply. Well, guess what? George Floyd complied also. That's and he's right. dead today. So right. the prayer of a black mother has changed in this climate, you know, right. and it just, it's just, it's just really sad. I do have a question though, after, yeah. so what do you think, where do you think white people are with Trump? Do you think oh. they're, and I, know, <laughs> I so let me preface this, let me preface <laughs> this, I know that we still have six months. And I know it's going to be probably determined on economy. But when you are out and about talking to, you know, rich, privileged people, (laughs) other white people, wherever, do you think, like, they are concerned about, like, okay, we're finally concerned, or do they ignore it? Do they think that we are somehow responsible? Do they, you know, do they realize when they see all this looting and crap on TV, it's really not the black people. It was some other group. Do you know what I mean? Like, where where are they? And and I know we're on lockdown, so you may not be able to answer because you may not have had a lot of, you know, contact with others. But where do you think white people are with Trump? I I, I think that the, I can't, tell you about the white people that you want to know about because yes. I am a, I come from a, um, uh, dem- like my family is so entrenched in the Democrat side mm-hmm. of things. My mm-hmm. husband's family is, um, mm-hmm. Republican mm-hmm. and we don't consider Trump a Republican. We consider him an anomaly. Like when we talk about mm. politics, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. That I don't mind Republicans. I don't consider Trump uh, a, a, a Is that most white people? Do most? No. Do you think most white people think he really, like when they think of him, they really don't think of him as a Republican? I don't know. Uh, because again, mm-hmm. most, I live in Northern California, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I live in a community where I live in a bubble of um, kind-hearted. Uh, right. m- my community is uh, horrified and traumatized by Trump. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. truly, they mm-hmm. we can't. I mean, my my people wanted him impeached. My people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we wanted to do everything. We marched. Mm-hmm. We like we don't. You know, we, we don't know the what to do about the fact that he's in office. We're mm-hmm. doing everything we can do. We're sending money to, um, you know, congressional areas where mm-hmm. we might be able to unseat a Republican. Like we're mm-hmm. we're looking mm-hmm. at this nationally and how can we like when I watched Becoming the documentary with Michelle Obama mm-hmm. and she was saying the heartbreaking part was that the that the people didn't come out and vote for the House and the Senate in the way that they needed them to. Like mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. my people are doing everything that we can do mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. support the government we want. And Trump right. is not that. So I'm not the person who can tell you I about need, the I need Swing a white voters. person from the Midwest. I'm going to tell Gary to find me a white person from the Mid- Midwest so we can get them, them answers. Right? Answers. Because, but, because but here's the other thing that you, you know, if you think about like the hillbilly LG, if you think about the people that, the poor white people, if you think about the middle of the country, like, I mean, I'm, a, I'm upset about the rich white people who supported Trump. That yeah. shocked me, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's one down the street, and there's I've seen a sign. I've seen three signs in Napa, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know those people. I don't mm-hmm. talk to those people. Right, um, right. I can't, uh, I don't think their brains work. Right. I, I, I just don't think they follow linear right. thought. Right. And, right. you know, Kenya, I, I want to actually bring something up that we talked about. And I, um, yeah. Which is, you know, the thing about the Republicans versus the Democrats, and I think this is important when it comes to organization, mm-hmm. is Democrats believe in the fundamental, like that if you educate people, they will make a good choice. Mm-hmm. Republicans believe that if you uh, trigger people, they will make the choice you want them to make. And what well, Democrats really piss me off because right? I think that I they are way re- too for they way too way too forgiven, and they need to get much more strategic. Smart. I'm gonna just tell you. So right, they people, need to take people, a, a page out of Mitch McConnell's book. He had a plan and he stuck to it. That's right. Period. They, the Republicans are much better strategists than the yes. Democrats. Drives me. It drives me f- bananas. It really drives me bananas. Yeah. Me too. But you know, okay. So you can't answer this because you're not the right kind of white person I need. <laughs> but I'm gonna just, <laughs> I'm gonna just put it out there. I'm gonna just put it out there, and then maybe the right kind of white person I need will, you know, respond, respond. on his podcast or something. <laughs> This is real. I want to know, like, at what, for a white person, at what age does a black boy become intimidating? Like, when do they start to become afraid or weary if they don't like the word afraid? Like, I'm really interested at what point does that happen? You know, at what age is that? And I want to know also at... What, how do I say this? Um, at what point do they start to tell their kids hmm. to kind of maybe be aware of black kids, to stay away from black Like, what age is that? Is it third grade? Is it eighth grade? Is it, is it, is it high school? You know, you know, when do they write? Hmm. When do they write them off? Do you know? Well, I'll tell so. you, you know, my sister was beat up by black kids in the city. And my grandfather Oh, said, your, your, your sister was beat up? Yeah, we moved out of San Francisco. Um, and my mom, you know, the, we, we moved out of, of San Francisco and moved to the suburbs so we could have the privileged life, right? Yes. We could have uh-huh, a swimming uh-huh. pool. And, yes, yes. And actually the education in, in Lafayette was the best of the state. So we moved for education and, and yes. to be in the country. My grandfather... Um, you know, when I was a grown up and working with, um, all of my clients were African-American and, Mm -hmm. um, my grandfather said, oh, well, you know, your, your parents moved out of San Francisco because the, the black kids were beating up your sister. And, um, I said, uh, you know, I checked my Was your sister a bitch? Well, she's a bit. Right, exactly. Sister a bit. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just right? kidding. Sorry. No, I can't but help by it. the way, you know, we, uh, I, I think what I think is interesting is that my grandfather said, uh, that they were black and, you oh. know, mm-hmm. right. In the, like, yes. by the way, my, when I was in the city, my best friend was black and I told my mother, I wanted to have black hair, which you will mm-hmm. maybe laugh at. Like mm-hmm. we didn't, my sister and I didn't experience any racial uh, mm-hmm. we, my sister never came away with that being afraid of black kids or black people. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, you know, I didn't come away with that. And it was interesting, you know, 
generationally. And I don't, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I never felt threatened by um, a black boy or a black man any more than I felt threatened by a white boy or a white man. You know what? That's interesting because I grew up poor, you know, like from the acorn. Um, then I went to 26th Street in West Oakland. Then I went to um, um, Mountain Boulevard, but I ended up at 98th and MacArthur living. And I knew I, was, I knew we were like poor, I guess. And But I never, ever like remember being intimidated or afraid of white people. We traveled a lot. Um, I moved to um, Ohio. I'm excuse me, Santa Barbara. It was all white people. I mean, I never had a problem with being afraid of white people. And yeah. sometimes I think like the generation um, before, the generation under me, the black boys, like I just think they they don't realize like. When I see them with saggy pants, I can't stand it. Um, I think that they don't realize how intimidating they are just just being. Like, they don't have to sag their pants. Just being who they are hmm. is so intimidating to a lot of white people, which is why I think that they are the cho- you know, they are so picked on. They, you know, they don't want them to succeed, that they constantly beat them down emotionally or whatever. As you see, we got the shit show going, got the dog barking, <laughs> the, the headphones are all over. It's just, it's just real crazy. I'm, I'm it's, real crazy. It's really so. interesting to think about. Like, I am intimidated by um, people. I'm, I'm intimidated by uh, well, and here's a really interesting thing I shouldn't to use the word about. intimidated. I just think black. I shouldn't use that because I'm sure I'm going to get so much back. What I'm saying is black men are so fucking cool just being, you know, just being in a room. They don't have to. The gold chains are unnecessary. The saggy pants are unnecessary. The, the, the fly cars are unnecessary because they so fly. And if they can ever get to a point when they wake up feeling I'm so fucking fly that I don't, I don't need all the extra, I think the decisions will be think, made. Don't you think that decision? like uh-huh. when, when, uh, when somebody comes towards you, Right. And yeah. they are putting off machismo uh, or bravado, like male, like whether it's redneck, whether it's Latino, whether it's black. Like if they're mm-hmm. coming at you with this, like, the, you know, like mm-hmm. energy. What is that, Lisa? What's I'm that? supposed to be here. This is my but, room. I own the I, room. I don't know <laughs> what it is, but like I feel it. I get it. Yes. Right? It doesn't matter what culture you're from. Right. If you are coming at me with that energy, I don't. Right. It, but, right. I had a guy. I was. I think I told you this late night driving home from Hollywood after shooting a show. It was yes. one o'clock in the morning. I'm in my car. This guy walks. Is you know across the street, comes towards my door, and I lock my door. And he starts right. yelling at me that I'm a racist. And I said, I don't give a fuck what color you right. are. You right. come to my door at one right. o'clock in the morning, that's right. threatening, right? Right. So I think we could, you and I and civil, like 
kind, good people can talk about behavior that is threatening. I'll tell you, when I walk through an, an airport, maybe it's because of the years of working with the people that I work with, I make eye contact with black people and give them that, like, like I, I, I they, see you. Yeah, I, I see, see you. you. They see me. Like that's what we. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, yeah. I know I've co-opted that from being with the guys that I was with. But I see them and I have an affinity towards them and I find war I have warmness for them. And by the way, they give it back to me. I was and gonna I, say, I think black people are the warmest people they ever. Are the warmest. They will allow you to come over to the parties, to the this. They it, you come to the door, they don't know who you are, but they just say welcome. Or That's you know, right. they just really do em- embrace you, um, even if you don't know who yep. or what they are. Yes. My Kennedy I'll, wants to I'll say something. Also say that at least with my Speak up, please. Okay, I also say like at least with my generation, like the younger generation, it's like black culture is the culture for like everybody. Right, it I is agree. The standard. It is what everyone wants to be. Right. And they want our culture, but too, they don't want it? us. Wasn't That's it, Kenya? I mean, it, I think it was true for us growing up as well. Black culture has always been, um, well, not I don't know if it's always, but like you know they you. You hear about how Elvis Presley was influenced by by blues and and black music yep. and how like and and while while we were kids, right? Magic jo- uh, Magic Johnson. <laughs> Sorry, that's a whole nother thing. But like you know, um, Michael Jackson crossed over, right? There was a crossover right. to mainstream, right? But it's always been. And by the way, urban culture, right? Right. It, it urban culture is where the the creativity is coming from and i guess you know there's probably something in country music that i'm not aware of but you know uh i i i do agree that um you know there is we could have a cultural conversation that would be different i like honest conversation i like you know showing well, you who can you handle are. honest conversations some people can't yeah you know what i mean honestly some people can't you know um when you were talking about eye contact, like I am great at eye contact, except um, sometimes with um, homeless people because I feel such guilt. Mm. You know, like the, you know, I'll give my food. I usually will give food over money, but I have to make a conscious effort to have that sort of eye contact just because I think I feel such guilt like I should be doing more or I want to know the story um you know but I do want to let them know that they are seen but I have to like you better look at them you know what I mean I I have Mm -hmm. to tell myself you you need to look you need to look at them because they're here so you need to let them know that that you do see them when you talked about um eye contact that is like something that I constantly um am reminding myself about yeah. You know. I, I, so I do think that for me, because I have been, um, you know, in uh, in black culture the way that I have, you know, yes. that, you know, I've gone to the mega church that is the African-American church. Like I feel very at home in those communities. Mm-hmm. The more we understand somebody else's reality and somebody else's perspective and somebody else's mm-hmm. prejudices and biases, the better we can work with them. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that there should be on on all sides. As we're going to get off here, is there any sort of um, suggestions that you may have for uh, 
whites that may want to help, like what, you know, help the cause or use yeah. their white privilege or just anything that they can do to feel supported, that can help support us, that yeah. can help us feel like we are supported? I'm going to say this woman's name because I think that every white person should go on Facebook and see this woman. Her name is Melissa McCreary. And okay. I wouldn't normally give her name out except for that she has gotten 12 million views, I think. No, it's like okay. ridiculous. Okay, okay. Um, and it, I mean, 12 million views since this morning, I think. And, mm-hmm. oh no, the 27th. So this has been a couple of days. Melissa McCreary, M-C-C-R-E-R-Y. Mm-hmm. She, I don't think anybody can can give better guidance than what she said, which is that we all need to demand of our leadership a a plan, Mm -hmm. that we need to demand of our spiritual leaders, of our political leaders, of our community Mm -hmm. leaders, and I would even add um, of our uh, commerce leaders. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. say that, you know, we need to come together in the organizations that we are in and in the places that we are in, and we need to demand a plan. We need to demand organization and a plan. That's the way that we go. There's no one answer in terms right, of what you right. donate to, right? Right. But but the one answer that is true at, at every point of contact, right? The question of what can I do? Well, what's in front of me? What mm-hmm. what am I paying for? Who am I electing? Who's charged with serving me in mm-hmm. my spiritual life, in my political life, and in my economic life? And if I task myself with the accountability, as you said, of being uncomfortable for the sake of change. I mean, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tolerate what I saw. Right. I can't. I can't. Right. I, I can't right. have that be on the news. I can't right. have that be my country and my tax dollars and my, right. I can't. So what about you, Kennedy? Kennedy did not really get on camera, but she was she here. sure doing a lot of talking off camera. <laughs> So do you have any last sort of remarks or thoughts maybe we missed or, oh, oh, she said yes. I heard that. Okay. So speak it loud. Speak it proud. Just about like what's actually going on right now. Mm -hmm. Um, George Floyd is essentially, in my opinion, a real catalyst to what's going on because there's not a lot of cases filmed and that gives room for people to be to make their own narrative but it's really clear what happened and it makes you know it 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 just um kind of validates that police brutality is real mm-hmm. and the march and the conversation needs to keep going after hopefully there is a conviction after there is you know, charges for everyone involved, all four, um, the remaining three. And so, you know, I just see a lot of people like, well, they're not even talking about George Floyd. It's now bigger than him. You know, he was, you know, what started it. But this happens to a lot more people. It happens a lot of times not filmed. Those people might not ever get justice. So, you know, pray that justice is served in this case. But this issue is way bigger. And it's rooted in 
some deep stuff that needs to be confronted head on. And yeah. Okay. All right. So I think, and and just to add something to that, the yeah. um, you know there was a lawyer that I heard speaking this morning um, who mm-hmm. is a Trump supporter and a, a former Republican congressman, and he mm-hmm. was saying, you know, this is this is first degree murder. This is not third degree murder, and mm-hmm. he was breaking it down. And and when I I think that we can talk about George Floyd and. And we should all stay out of any uh, allowing anybody to justify, argue, defend, or explain. When mm-hmm. when a Republican congressman in support of Trump can admit that this is first degree murder, we don't have to wait for uh, mm-hmm. a- anything else. This mm-hmm. is this is undeniably intolerably. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's no argument or conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The change needs to happen now, and I agree that this is the tipping point, that the conversation, again, that Jade, don't justify, argue, defend, or explain. This we, We're changing things. Mm-hmm. The, we're not going to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. all of the, the details of the case. This is, I mean, I don't mean to say we can't talk, talk about the details of the case, but the question is, how do we affect change immediately the same way that we did in the Me Too discussion, where people were afraid to argue, they were afraid to wait for the verdict of guilty. They said, we're gonna be beyond reproach. Nobody in our organization gets to have a hint of Mm -hmm. sexual assault or harassment. It's unacceptable. And that's what we need to have in our entire society and institution. That that let George be the 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 tipping point that changed it all. The same way mm-hmm. that you know you look at the Rose McGowan or you look at the right who st- or or Alyssa Milano. You want to talk about who started or or by the way, there were hundreds of people that came before, right? Mm-hmm. And they all came out and they all talked about it. But the point right. is that we all got to this place where we said no longer is any of this acceptable. Right. I I totally agree with that. I totally agree. Well, I would like to say that systematic racism is real. And I think people don't want to say it's real because then it means you got to go back and change all the systems. Um, I also want that uh, you guys have to vote. We all have to vote, not only in the presidential, but on your on the local levels. You have to vote for candidates that truly have your interest or the interest of the people um, that that have the same empathy. Um, You have to get out and vote. You, You do. I don't care what some of these celebrities are out here saying to you. Get out and vote. That's right. And um, so with that, I hope there was some nugget that no matter what color you were, you know, what gender, I hope there was some nugget of helpfulness or um, that you were able to take away from this um, podcast today. Thank you, Gary, for being generous and um, turning over the Get Some podcast. Looks like (laughs) I got some. (laughs) Um, thanks Kennedy for, you know, your, your input, uh, because you, you are the culture I was talking to, uh, talking about. Um, and just, 
I want to thank, I don't want to come off like I don't understand or love or like white people. I've met some dope white people that have been supportive uh, to this cause, to me, to my family. They have been mentors when I couldn't find a mentor. So I just, I want white people to know we love y'all. We think, we know, not just me, but just black people in general. We know some real dope white people. So, we you know, we out here fighting and, you know, yelling. If you know you dope and you've been down with the cause and you've been supportive, we ain't talking about you. Okay? So, just remember that. We appreciate you um, and we appreciate your support. Lisa, I love you and I thank you for being willing to come on and, you know, kind of talk about this. Thank you for admitting that you do have white privilege because that just rolled off your tongue. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you for all you do for Gary. Um, so, we, I just appreciate it. I appreciate your time. And once again, thank you, Gary, for letting us me and Lisa take over to get some podcasts.